All right, Matthew 12. Uh, We're going to look at verse 41 and 42, and uh, let me read it to you. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of uh, Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south, the queen of Sheba, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, and now one greater than Solomon is here. That's a powerful prophetic word. Jesus was speaking uh, as not only a prophet, but the prophet, and he was warning that generation. Who, Who was that generation? Who's he speaking to? What nation? He's speaking to Israel, isn't he? He's in the midst. He's in Jerusalem. He's speaking to Israel. He's speaking to that generation of people who lived at the time that he was alive. And he's saying this. Now get this. This is heavy. On the day of judgment, there'll be a court setting, a courtroom setting, and this generation standing in front of me, Jesus is saying, the city of Nineveh is going to come and speak against you and convict you of not hearing God's word for your generation. Because that generation of Nineveh, and not before or after, but that generation of Nineveh that heard Jonah preach repented. And so this generation living in Israel, he said, there's, there's someone greater than Jonah standing right in front of you now. And that's Jesus, the Messiah. He then says, and takes another person out of history and time, and says the Queen of Sheba is then going to get up on that day. Now get this, everybody. We're going to see this. Are you going to be there? Who's going to be there at, at, at the great judgment, right? Thank God we're under the blood of Jesus, so we'll be sitting and watching this and seeing this event take place. I don't know if we'll be sitting in the same seats, but we'll be there. And, and the Queen of Sheba will come up and she will say to them, you missed it, Israel. She's, and, and the Lord says, for when she heard of the wisdom of Solomon, God's anointing for that generation, she left her home, her family, and traveled 75 miles from Yemen or Sheba, and and went up to Jerusalem to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And for her generation, she got the word of God for her people and her time. And she responded correctly. And she's going to speak against the generation in Israel. What all of this alludes to is that there is a judgment upon generations. There is a responsibility for generations to respond to the revelation of God for that time period. So we would then have to consider what is the revelation unto our generation that we're responsible for. And to speak to this generation, let me take you further into it. Basically, God's saying there is a revelation and there will be judgment if you do not respond to the revelation of God. Now, personally, each one of you If you don't accept Christ, there was a visitation into your life by the Word of God and the Spirit of God that you'll be judged on. I'm praying you 
respond favorably. Now, most of you here have, and you've accepted the revelation of Jesus Christ, the one who's better than Solomon and better than Jonah, and you've, you have salvation. So thank God. You're not going to be judged. Christ took your judgment for you. But there's a whole bunch of people out here that are going to be judged. Because there's a word or a revelation of God that comes to every generation. Nineveh and the Queen of Sheba responded properly to the revelation that God gave. Israel ignored and rejected God's revelation for that hour. And what was the revelation of that hour? Jesus Christ. Jesus come in the flesh. Came to his own people. They received him not. They rejected him. And he says, woe unto you. He gives a prophetic woe unto that generation. Do you remember what that generation said when they crucified him? Let his blood be upon us. You remember that? That was the only line that they had to not put on, on, on the screen for the, uh, the uh, what was that movie? Uh, the Passion of the Christ. Uh, remember, The Passion of the Christ was basically the dialogue of the Gospels, and, and uh, that was too inflammatory of a line. But it was history. And it's what that generation said, let his blood be on us. And so Jesus is already giving a warning that there will be others in history that will look at that generation when the full revelation of God came to earth in man, they rejected and despised him. Uh, that's, t that's pretty rough. What I'm trying to say to you is in this account, we see generational accountability to the present truth of God. I use that term, the present truth. Now, don't get that mixed up if you Google it or look at it. There's a Seventh-day Adventist magazine called the present truth. I'm not referring to that. But what this is saying is that God gives a present truth to a generation, to every generation. And, and that present truth is the truth that God is acting upon for a people. There is a present truth right now for you and I that God's trying to say to us as a people. And we need to be uh, in tune with the Spirit to pick up on what he's saying, what the present truth is. Let me give you some examples. There was a present truth. Now, now this doesn't negate all of God's truth. But how many of you have ever read a scripture or done something? You're reading the Word of God. It's all the Word of God. We understand that. But something comes out prophetically to you, insightfully to you, and it's, a, it's unctioned by God as something you need to act upon. It's a present truth. God's speaking. Right? We, uh, uh, some folks call it a rhema word, if you will. It's, it's coming alive to you. It's a present truth. Now, consider Noah. Noah was called a preacher of righteousness. Okay? Peter called him a, a, a preacher of righteousness. And so Noah is building an ark, and he's preaching, and he's speaking of a judgment that's coming where God is going to drench the world in a flood. Now, that's a present truth for Noah. Did it happen? Yes. All right? Why didn't Moses preach that? Well, it, it was not applicable, right? I mean, you can't go to Pharaoh and say, there's going to be a flood coming unless you repent. That's, that was true for Noah. It's not true for him. Was God going to judge uh, Egypt? Of course, and God did that. Do you see what I mean? Okay. It doesn't negate the fact that that was a truth, that God did judge the world by a flood. But there is a present revelation of a truth. 
Look at, on your outline, David in Acts chapter 13, 36. It says this about him. For David, after he served his own what? Say it again. A little louder. After he served his own generation. Who was David supposed to serve? His generation. He was a king over that generation and those people. Now, it was purposed by God that it had eternal significance. Right? Because who was his seed? Jesus the Messiah. And who would sit upon the throne of David? Jesus the Messiah. So it had eternal significance. But who was he specifically supposed to minister to? His generation. So let me ask you this question about you. And this is why I'm glad you're here, young people. Who are you supposed to be preaching to and living for? Your generation. You've got an assignment to your generation. Now let's be careful and not split this. Let's not allow the world to tell us what a generation is. Because if we're going by the world, we've got about five generations sitting here. And that's just silly. We've got Xers and Boomers and Thisers and Thatters. It's like every 10 years we have a generation, and that's absurd. I think could, it's safe to say we've got a generation sitting in this room. Right? Some of you are older, some of you are younger, but we all have to talk to this generation of people. And it's a good thing that some of you are older so you can talk to some of the older, and it's a good thing some of you are younger so we can talk to some of the younger. Because there is no waiting till you reach a certain age before you become qualified to minister to your generation. We are all responsible, right? And as King David was faithful to serve his generation, that means he was marked specifically for his generation. He had the language and the ability to communicate to his generation. He had an answer from, from God for his generation. You getting this? It says, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he was, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers. His fathers had a word for their generation. He had a word for his generation. He served his time well. There are unique things about this time we live in. You and I would be unfit to preach while John Wesley was out in the fields and, and, and some of the other revivalists were doing certain things. We wouldn't fit. You transport us there. They go, you know, how many, right? Back to the future. How many of you see that? Out of time, out of sorts. You were made for this day. You were made for this hour so that you could serve this generation. We don't have to apologize for it. Right? Thank God we made it through the 70s. We don't have to dress like that anymore. But let me give you an example. Athanasius in 345. Athanasius became a bishop and he served his generation because he had a present truth for his generation. What was Athanasius' job to, and present truth? The deity of Jesus Christ. He wrote the Athanasian Creed. He is the one who defended the deity of Christ against a, a, a move within the church that was taking the church into what was called Arianism or the idea that Jesus was not the Son of God, not eternal and not divine. 
But this man had a word from the Lord. It was always in here. It was always here. It wasn't some new revelation. It was always here. It was written by the apostles. The doctrine was here. But it was a present truth that was crucial to that time and period in history. He didn't invent something. He stood for something. And it was highlighted in that time to set the course of doctrine for the church from there on out. How about Martin Luther? Martin Luther had a word, a present word for the church at that time justification by faith. Now that that's over, is it not important anymore? Well, of course it's important. We must understand justification by faith. But you and I aren't going to get burned at the stake for that. He had to highlight that. It was a present revelation from God. It was always in the Word of God. It remains in the Word of God. We don't get rid of it. So don't, don't misunderstand me. I am not speaking of some new revelation. There is no new revelation. But there will be a word for this generation that must come alive, that God is speaking, that you and I are responsible to stand for. And that's what happened when he was talking to uh, Israel at that moment, he's saying, look at Nineveh responded to the revelation of God that was given at that present moment, and you are not. Israel, you're not responding, even though there's one greater than Jonah and greater than Solomon. Martin Luther had to say, no, this is wrong. I must stand. And I will stand by the word of God. It's justification by faith, not because of sacraments, not because of uh, 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 Johann Setzel selling indulgences. It is because of justification by faith and by grace alone. Right? A present revelation for that generation. He served it. He served it well. What about you? Are you ready to serve your generation with a present truth from God? Well, we have to be insightful, don't we? Let's take a look at the wisdom of Solomon and the preaching of Jonah. Let's just take a look at it and see what was unique about them. Now, here's Solomon. He is the son of David, and he's going to be king. God comes to him, and he says, Solomon, I'll give you anything you want. What do you want? Think about it for a minute. What would you want if you were Solomon? Huh? Now, don't... And everybody, oh, I'd want wisdom. That, you already read the story. That's why you're saying that. <laughs> what would be the first thought? I would like some money. But we're thinking in our present condition. <laughs> Did Solomon need money? He's going to be king. See, this is, the, this is the key here. Solomon knew what he had and what he lacked. That's key. If you want to serve your generation, you need to understand what you already have. What do you already have? Solomon didn't need to be famous. Because guess what? He's going to be king. And you don't get any better than that. He didn't need money. Because guess what? He's going to be king. He didn't need a new place to live. Because guess what? He's going to be in a palace. Right? I mean, how foolish would it be for him to give in to the lusts of his flesh and say, I'd like some cash, I'd like some women, that was a big downfall of his. He didn't need to ask God for women. He had the cash, the house, the car, and he got the women. Maybe it was a chariot. 
He had the power. Do you see what I mean? What is key about this story is Solomon knew what he didn't have. That's when you begin to go to God. The people of God, if they want to serve this generation, they have to understand what we lack. We need to begin to understand what we lack because God said, I will give you what you lack. Solomon said, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. Why? Because he knew he would have to discern between right and wrong and rule a nation. What do you want for your generation? What do you want to serve your generation? Well, let me ask you, what do you need? Is money going to be the thing that's going to help your generation? Consider it. There are a lot of people with a lot of money, right? We're the richest country in the world, and we're the, we're the most uh, morally bankrupt. We're financially rich and morally bankrupt. Is money what the church should be praying for, for this generation to turn it around? Now, it's not the cash. Believe me, it's not the cash. Is it influence? Maybe it's political influence. You see, we have to be praying to God, asking, what do I lack for the need of this generation? But instead what we're asking is, what do I lack for my needs? And if all we get is what we need for ourselves, we're never going to serve this generation. And that's where I believe God is changing the church. I believe there's a new season of the church coming in where people of God are now beginning to say, I've been duped and to be so focused on myself, all under you know, church righteousness, all I've been doing is feeding myself. I need gifts, oh God. If we could get a church that would fall on their knees and say, God, I lack this for my generation. That was the wisdom of Solomon. He knew what he didn't have for his people. I don't know how to stress this enough, but these are your people. Jesus made us priests and kings. These people aren't here to serve you. We're here to serve them unto God. But these are our people. This is our watch. This is our generation. Now what do we need to serve them? What are we lacking? And so Sheba, the queen, she's from modern-day Yemen, and we have enough Yemenis right down in Dearborn that have left Yemen. Why aren't they coming to us seeking the wisdom we have? You don't have to go 75 miles. You can go 5, 10, 15. And you'll run into Sheba. I don't know if the queen's there, but the Yemenis are there. Here's the thing about Yemen and, and where the queen of Sheba came from. They were known for their riddles. The land she came from was known for their riddles. Known for answering questions with questions. Have you ever had to talk to somebody like that? It's like, dude, would you just give me an answer? This is driving me nuts. Do I turn left or right? Depends on which direction you're coming in. Fine, just get me to the place, will you? Riddles, riddles, riddles. So when she needed an answer, she heard of one who had wisdom to give answers. No more riddles, no more games. Do you, know how many, you know how many people out here are sick and tired of riddles to life? She was able to go to this man who had an answer 
for everything. And he had the wisdom of God. And the reason it was there is because the the appointed revelation of God for that hour, she went to find the one who had it. And that's where the church is ready and needs to rise up in this day. And we are that church. We're the people that have to have the answer for this generation. And so that they will, when they want an answer, they're going to know where to go. They're going to walk in this neighborhood and they're going to say, you know what, I don't know what to do. I just lost a loved one. I don't know what to do. Maybe I'll go to Christ Community Church because I hear they have an answer for a time of need. Wouldn't you want that to be our designation? Wouldn't you want that to be our uh, heritage? And that's what happened. The present truth in that day and hour was being revealed by the wisdom of Solomon and someone wanted to go hear it and she went. Now let's take a look at Jonah. Why is Jonah so great? Why was Jonah so great? Anybody know? Because of the results. Do you know what the results were for Jonah? 100% repentance. 100% conversion. Is that crazy? In a huge city of Nineveh. It was a wicked city. Very wicked. And when Jonah got there, he preached. Now listen to this. In, study the book of Jonah. You'll see it, it says that it takes three days to walk through the city. On the first day, that only means he made it through one-third of the city, the city converted. How about that? May I say that when the revelation, the present truth of God that came to Nineveh, repent or you're, you're going to be toast, there's the present truth. And guess what happened? 100% result. They turned. And you guess what? Jonah was not responsible for that. He was the mouthpiece, barely. Do you know what was the result? God put him there in the right situation under the right circumstance. You want to know how cool God is? Now this is with someone who's unwilling. Can you imagine if you were willing? But this is how cool God is in taking all the events of Jonah. And, and some of you say, well, I, I'm not very good with my generation. I'm not going to be used of God. Look, at if he could use Jonah, he can use you. Just go with the flow. Here's the situation. Jonah runs away. Jonah gets thrown overboard. Jonah gets swallowed by a fish. That is not far-fetched. That's happened a number of times in history. People have been swallowed by fish, and they've either been cut out of the belly two, three days later, or regurgitated out, and they're still alive. It's a historical fact that it can happen. He is swallowed by a fish, but you know what's really cool? The fish takes him to Nineveh, brings him out on the beach, and pukes him up. Jonah gets out of the belly. He walks out on the beach. Obviously, he smells like fish. He's probably stained from the stomach acid three days, three nights. He walks into that city, and he gets immediate results. Do you know why? Because the god of Nineveh was Dagon, who was half fish, half man. That's what the statue of Dagon was that they had in their temples and pictures around the streets. He had the head of a man and the body of a fish. 
So when a man comes out of the mouth of a fish and walks on the scene, he's got everybody's attention. Is that cool or what? And Jonah didn't even want to preach to him. He said, look, repent or you're dead. I'm done. But God had set it up in such a way that God's present truth revealed by God in his timing, even with an unwilling vessel, saved a generation. And Jesus said, there's one greater than Jonah here today. Do you think God can use you for your generation? He certainly can. You might get swallowed by a fish. I don't know. But if you present yourself to God and say, use me for this generation, he'll put you in a fish, he'll put you in a helicopter, put you in a plane, he'll do something with you. He'll use a willing vessel. And so God uses us. Now let's ask ourselves this question. What would be the reasons for missing a present truth? Why are there those, let's say Israel, who missed the greatest revelation of truth in their very midst? There was a present truth, which is God's own Son come in the flesh to live, and the Messiah is here, finally arrives, and they missed it. How can you miss a present truth? Listen to two things. Number one, old wineskins or personal agendas. So what do I mean by that? These are the religious people he came to. Why did they miss the Messiah? What does that mean, an old wineskin? Jesus talks about old wineskins. He says this. He uses an old adage. He says you can't put new wine in an old wineskin. Does anybody know what that means? Yeah, new wine has got to ferment, and it's going to expand. If it's an old wineskin, it's already expanded to its, its full capacity. So if you put new wineskin in something that's already been stretched to its full capacity, and that begins to stretch further, what happens to the old wineskin? It busts. So new wineskin is wineskin that's very pliable. And you put the new wine in it, and it'll expand. Because new wine, or the present truth today that God is accenting and God is calling for His church to do, is going to stretch us like we've never been stretched before. And we don't like that because it's uncomfortable. And so what we want God to do is give us the new thing, but we'd like it in the old order. And we test everything we see based on our old order. And that's what the Israel was doing, basing their concept of Messiah on how they said he's supposed to come. He didn't come like that. And he had something that was just expanding and blowing their minds. What do you mean healing people on the Sabbath? You can't do that. He said, you get your donkey out of a ditch on the Sabbath. You're missing the whole point of the Sabbath, dude. Stretch. Stretch. How pliable are we? Not that we would want to hear new doctrine. We don't need new doctrine. But what we do need is a present move of God that is fresh, that may change the very paradigm that we've been walking in. What could it be? What could it be? I don't know. 
But are you ready for it? Because if we're not ready for it, we're going to miss it for this generation. I, I don't know. What, is, what does it mean? Are you willing to ask yourself that? Are you willing to give up your chair in the sanctuary? Wow, if, if, if that would be it, could you imagine? Move my chair. I've been sitting here for 20 years. I mean, really, is that the extent of it? If, if we are that limited in our expectation of what God's going to bring, what if there ain't no chairs? What if there's no church building? What if it's so radical what he wants to do is so crazy? Now, we've got young people here tonight, the youth. What if all of us need to follow them? Huh? We've got 9 and 10-year-olds downstairs. What if God raises up one of them? Are you willing to follow the 9 or 10-year-old in a move of God? Well, they haven't been educated like I have. Maybe we're so old and crusty we can't expand. They like that. Some of us are expanding too much. But if we really, really, we've been praying for God to do something, what do you want Him to do? None of us know. He asked Solomon, what do you want? What if he asks us, what do you want for your generation? I don't know. I'd I'd like more gifts. What gifts? Well, I'd like healing. Is that what this generation needs right now? Is that what it needs? Well, everybody needs healing. Is that what it needs? I don't know. I don't have the answer for that. But, But there is an answer here, and there is a present truth that God is trying to breathe into his church And one of the things that will not receive it is an old wineskin. Well, that's not how I saw revival when I was younger. Right. Because what was then isn't going to revive you now. And then uh, there's the... uh, the personal agendas. That's another thing that misses the move of God. You see, the the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they didn't want a Messiah. They're the top dogs. We can't bank on this guy. We worked hard to become who we are. Do you know while we were praying for Detroit all last year and we were, were praying for revival and working towards the call and working with each, there were people who were looking to head up their personal revivals. Wow, really? You want your name on it? You want your trademark on it? Wow. There's an agenda there. How many of you are willing to be nameless, faceless? God spoke to me a slogan, if you can. I pardon that term. but God spoke something to me that I'll probably reiterating throughout the year and that is no fame unashamed just the name no fame unashamed just the name God is looking for a people who are no longer looking for fame no longer looking for position no longer looking for notoriety no fame yet they are unashamed of who he is they'll do anything for the Lord while laying low and not getting any attention. No fame, unashamed, just the name.
I don't care if you know my name. The only name I want you to know is his name, Jesus. That's the only name that can help this generation. Do you get it? That's what God needs. God needs a people who don't have fame, but they're unashamed. And they only present the name, Jesus Christ. And so either people's personal agendas or people's old wineskins can stop that move of God. And so I conclude with this. And I ask these questions because there is a present truth that the Spirit of God is trying to breathe into us and trying to move upon us. And it's not the move that is going to be the most popular. And it's not the move that's going to have a name figure or preacher title on it. It's a move that God's trying to do and will do and will accomplish as His body grows into the full stature. It's a move where people understand the generation they're to serve in. Do you understand this generation? Do you understand what they're coping with? Let's, let's break it down. Let, let's break it down because we could talk about the world. We could talk about the United States. We could talk about Michigan. Or we could talk about uh, the east side here. Right? So let's make it simple. What does this community need from God? And it's time we need to begin praying. What does your high school need? What does your generation need? What does your high school need from you? What does the people at your work need from you? What does your neighbor need from you? What does this community need from us? What is God trying to say? What is the present truth he's trying to say? Well, we could go through. He's trying to say, love one another as I have loved you. And that's, I, I understand that. And that's true, and that counts, yes. But is there something we've got to get our heart and mind around? that we could say we served our generation because there was, there was something that moved. Now, we were a part of it. Last year, each moved, and believe it or not, we saw over 500 and some churches come together. That's unprecedented, unprecedented. And the present truth that came out of that is everyone needs a chance to hear. And the church began to serve. And we saw something, a present truth, that London, Phoenix, uh, uh, New York, Denver, L.A., are all trying to copy next year. They've been calling the leaders of each saying, how did you do that? We want to do it. Because we caught wind of a present truth that moved into our community and we began to move in it. That's what I'm talking about. There's a momentum here. It's exciting. And we're catching hold of what we're to do for our generation.